Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 one more time. Our Vessel series is coming to an end, but we have one more piece to place. Kind of like putting a puzzle together. No matter how big or how small the puzzle may be, if you get to the end but you're missing one piece, the entire thing just looks incomplete. So we've got to have this last piece tonight. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 19, God's Word says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now let's head to Florence, Alabama, where a motorcycle officer running radar looking for speeders suddenly found himself in a high-speed chase. This entire incident was caught on the officer's body cam. This is highly dangerous for the motorcycle officer at these speeds. speeds of over 80 miles an hour here. suddenly become a foot chase. The other car is actually a plainclothes officer in an unmarked vehicle. So every bit of that that you just watched took place right here in our quaint little city. So if some of those places look familiar, it's because the Florence that they mentioned at the beginning is this Florence. That happened right here. That motorcycle cop goes to this church. 
His kids are in our student ministry. Like He was here this Sunday, so it's crazy that all that went down right here. And there's a reason why I showed you that video, because I want it to serve as a teachable moment for all of us, which is never run from the police. So now we can all go home. We're, good. We're done for the night. No, but seriously, in verse 22, which is actually going to be our focus for tonight, Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So for the next few moments, I want to teach from the subject of in pursuit. Bump somebody beside you and tell them, I'm in pursuit. I'm in pursuit. I'm in pursuit. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, says to flee youthful passions and pursue. So that word pursue, by our definition, means to follow or to try to catch, to try to capture over a long distance. So watch this with me. As vessels, our lives and their wholeness or over the distance of our lives, they are to be lived in pursuit. Well, in pursuit of what specifically? Well, Paul gives us an immediate answer that we're about to assess. And people I found, whether they realize it or not, will pursue a lot of different things over the course of their lives. It's kind of like online shopping, you know, how you can add items to your cart, and the more items you grab and you throw in that cart up there, the number goes up. And so people throughout the course of their lives will kind of add items to their cart. So people will pursue jobs. They'll pursue career. You guys right now, a lot of you are pursuing degrees. You'll pursue relationships. You'll pursue marriage. People will pursue independence, which is where you're at as well, getting to a point where you don't have to rely upon your parents anymore. You can sustain your own life. People will pursue personal dreams. People will pursue ambitions. One day you will pursue retirement, and all that is good and well, but as vessels for our Lord, Paul notes that there are some specifics that should be included in our pursuit package, things that we need to make sure get added to the cart as well as followers of Jesus. So at the beginning of the video, this guy comes speeding by the officer, and at that moment, the chase or the pursuit begins, and the process of running this guy down has started. So in the same sense, with our pursuit, we are to run down righteousness. At the beginning of the passage, Paul says to pursue righteousness. The very moment that we surrender our lives to Jesus and become born again, our pursuit of righteousness began. Now, there are some things that I think we need to understand and establish as far as righteousness is concerned before we move further. So before we talk about pursuing righteousness, let's talk about defining righteousness. To be righteous is to be right with God. But the key is only God can make that condition possible for each and every one of us. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Jesus does on our behalf. So the gospel informs us of the fact that we are broken sinners, severed in our relationship with God, not having any righteousness whatsoever of our own. 
But God in his grace and his love and his mercy sent Jesus to be the substitutionary death for us and atonement for our sins on the cross so that if we will bow and confess him as our Lord and Savior, he comes into our lives and parts his salvation into us. We are now justified and through him we are credited with his righteousness. That's the beautiful story of the gospel of Jesus. That nasty, broke-down sinners like yourselves and me can be washed clean and made new through the blood of Jesus Christ regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you've been, regardless of the places that you've gone. Jesus stands ready at this moment to accept whoever will come and confess before him and lay their lives down and ask to be made new in his name. And once that happens, it only gets more beautiful from that point. See, there's beauty in salvation. But listen to me. Don't ever forget that there's beauty in sanctification. The process of becoming more like him. It only just begins the moment that you're credited his righteousness. Now you get to spend the rest of your life pursuing that righteous life. It is a joyous privilege that we get to partake in. Through Christ, we can pursue righteousness or right living. So what is that? What does that look like? How does that pursuit take place? Well, quite simply put, the best way to pursue righteousness is to pursue the one who embodied it, which is Jesus himself. It's just that simple. To live, righteousness, to, to live righteously is to live in the same manner as Jesus did and with the same mindset that Jesus lived with. So if we're in pursuit, well, then we run after, we're running after righteousness, we're running after a right lifestyle of living. So it looks like us running after serving others. It looks like us pursuing after sacrificing for others. It looks like us running after loving others, extending forgiveness, showing kindness, practicing patience, exemplifying compassion, all those things that Jesus did while he was on the earth are the same things that now we embody through his Holy Spirit and we live those things out. We pursue that same lifestyle of living. Listen, pursuing righteousness means that within myself, I desire holiness above anything else. Sure, there are things my flesh wants. Listen, by no means will I ever stand before you guys and act like I never have a struggle and act like I never have a temptation and act like there's never a desire or ever a thought that enters into my brain that is fleshly that I don't want to go after. I have all kinds of things that my flesh wants to pursue that I have to battle on a daily basis not to go after. I understand the temptation. I understand the struggle. I know there are things that we all in this room desire to pursue, but they're fleshly and they're selfish in nature. Pursuing righteousness means that I see those things. And I make the choice through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit to choose what glorifies and honors God instead of what glorifies and honors self. Pursuing righteousness means I deny those things to go after the glory of God and His plans and His purposes instead. Now, listen, I think it's important that we make a distinguish here, too, that this looks a lot different than self-righteousness. Self-righteous is motivated 
by me wanting to pat myself on the back. Good job for me. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at the things I'm doing. Look at the things I've accomplished. That's a self-righteous attitude. One of the harshest condemnations that Jesus gave to any group of people were the Pharisees. You know why? Because they were self-righteous. Everything about what they did was to reflect back upon themselves. And Jesus said, you guys are missing the point. That's not what life is about. But the pursuit of true righteousness always leads to the glorifying of God. And listen, that's the pursuit that he loves to see you be in. He loves it. I'm being serious. He loves it. When you pursue righteousness, God himself loves that. Proverbs 59. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Our Father loves to see us pursue a righteous style of living through the power of his Holy Spirit. So run down righteousness. Going back to the high-speed chase, this guy, he was as he's running from the police, he's weaving through intersections. He's blasting through stop signs with a complete disregard for any traffic laws at that point, doing whatever he can to evade the police. But whatever move he made, the officer followed every single move that he made. If he turned left, he turned left. If he turned right, he turned right. If he went through the intersection, he went through the intersection. Every move he made, the officer followed him. As vessels living in pursuit, Paul says to pursue faith. So the next step in our pursuit is that we follow after faith. We run down righteousness, but we follow after faith. And I think it's easy at times for us to forget that our life is to be one of faith. The wholeness of our life as followers of Jesus is to be one of faith. You know, we get, we seem to have a pretty decent enough grasp that we're saved by faith. But listen to me. The rest of our lives after that point ought to be lived by faith as we follow Jesus as well. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, that doesn't mean that we're blind by any means. It means that we trust Jesus' plan even when we can't see the path. That's the essence of living a life of faith. I might not can see the path, but I can trust Jesus' plan. And so I pursue. I move on down the line. I continue in my pursuit after him. You know why I think so many churches and worship gatherings lack spiritual presence and power? You know why I think so many believers aren't experiencing God's movement and direction in their lives? I think it's because both lack faith. We've chiseled faith out of the elements that should be essential to a life that follows after Jesus. And when we do that, we miss out on experiencing the fullness of his power and his presence and his movement and his direction in our lives. In Matthew chapter 17, there's an instance where Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. And while that's going on, there's a man that has a demon-possessed son, and he brings his son to the disciples that are at the bottom of the mountain, and he begins to beg them to do something about the condition of his son. And no matter how hard the disciples tried to cast out the demon, they couldn't. And when Jesus comes down 
the mountain, he encounters this scene, and he's like, hey, what's, what's going on? And this guy comes running up to Jesus, and he says, my son, he's, he's got this demon, and it convulses him, and it seizes him, and it's tried on several occasions to, to try and kill my son. And so I brought him to your disciples, and I begged, and I pleaded for them to do something about his condition, but they couldn't do anything about it. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. He, he answered, and he says, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. The boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So after the episode is over with and Jesus heals the man's son, the disciples come up to him afterwards and like, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast out the demon? Jesus says, because of your little faith. It's recorded actually in Mark and Luke. Jesus saying, this kind only comes out by prayer. But when you couple those together, we can see that it's a faith issue. Because where there's a lack of faith, there's always a lack of prayer. Jesus says, because of your little faith, you couldn't do it. Hey, you guys right now, you're living in one of the greatest faith formative seasons of your life. Because right now, for you guys, so much is uncertain, so much is unknown, so much is undetermined in your life. And, and here's, here's the temptation, I think, for most of you, is to look at those things and say, well, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much unknown, there's so much that's undetermined, and you see that as an obstacle when it's really an opportunity. Let me, let me show you, let me show you. It's really an opportunity. When so much is unknown, when so much is uncertain, when so much is undetermined, it provides a great opportunity for you to learn to trust right now and believe in faith that Jesus will guide you to where you need to be. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. And I really need you to hear this because you, you see this happen so often now, it seems like, that, that a lot of people later in life, on down the road, Middle-aged adults that, that claim to have their faith fold. Have you seen any of these stories? Have you seen any of these instances where so many people later on in life, they get on down the road and all of a sudden they have kind of this, this faith-folding moment because of a situation or a circumstance or some realization that they've had. And because of that situation, because of that circumstance, because of that realization, their faith has completely folded. But let me tell you what the reality is. The reality is faith doesn't fold because of a situation or a circumstance or a realization. Faith folds when it isn't formed. Their faith folds because they never seized the opportunity when they were younger in life to form their faith to where it had a strong foundation to when that situation or that circumstance or that quote-unquote realization showed up to withstand the battle and the darts that the enemy was throwing up against them. 
So that's why I'm saying right now you guys have a prime opportunity to form your faith in a way in which later down the road you don't have to worry about if it's going to fold or not. Listen to me. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. I have no idea what the next 5, 10, 15 years of my life holds. Tragedy could be standing at my doorstep right now. Completely unexpected, completely unprepared for. One of the worst things imaginable could happen and enter into my life at any given moment. My phone could go off and the trajectory of my life, the scope of my life could be changed forever by one decision, by one choice, by one mistake, by one failure. But I can tell you, even if it does happen, my faith is not going to fold because I made a decision when I was 22 years old sitting in the seats that you're at. That regardless of what the world told me I needed to pursue or go after, I was going to plant my feet firmly upon Christ and establish my relationship with Him so now I don't have to worry about it later on whenever those things show up. And if there's one thing I could desire for each and every one of y'all, it's for you to at this moment begin to actively form your faith on the foundation of Jesus so that later down the road, if something disastrous happens your faith remains firm but it's up to you you know Jesus when we get down to the nitty gritty of it Jesus actually expects faith to be an essential element within our lives Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him as vessels pursue faith. Live a life of faith like you're called to. So the pursuit continues, right? And the officer is trying to run this guy down. He's following every move that he makes. And the entire time, if you notice, he, he stays focused. He stays locked onto his target, so to speak. So Paul says, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, and then he adds love. So in our pursuit, we're to be locked on love. As vessels, our pursuit is to be locked on love. Now, not love in the sense of finding or falling in love. Remember, we're in 2 Timothy, not Song of Solomon. Different series for a different time. So different kind of love right here that Paul has in mind that he encourages and points us to a pursuit of. And so I want to show you what I believe are two elements of this love, two kinds of this love. The first of which is community love. We need to pursue after community love. In other words, pursue a love that is for one another. All these people around you, Right now, this, this faith community, this body of believers, this gathering of saints, we need to be pursuing a love for one another. Each and every one of us that are gathered together in this room, all throughout Scripture, believers are mandated, since that's such a strong word in everybody's vocabulary now, believers are mandated to love one another. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And the thing about love is, is that we're mandated, we're commanded to do it, but love also validates our salvation. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 
Whoever does not love abides in death. So the love that we have for one another is an indicator and a validator that we truly are born again in Jesus' name. So I'm not trying to scare you or worry or stress you, but if you can't love anybody in this room, it's doubtful whether or not the love of God presides in you. It's a validator of our faith. It's also to be our action. Love for believers is an action, more so than it is anything else. 1 John 3, 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So for believers within a community love, telling someone that you love them is not enough. Rather, show them. Live it out. Let it be expressed, not just verbalized. And then this love also testifies to the world of our redemption. John 13, 35 says, By this all people we know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know if y'all have called onto it or not, but it's like John, 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 John. John was all about love. Well, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. The guy had a close place in his heart for love and how much it meant, how special it was between him and his Savior. Listen, the greatest collection and exemplification of love on this earth should exist among the saints. We pursue it, though. It's funny that we pursue it. We pursue it because, let's be honest, it's not always easy to do. Love one another. But at the same time, let's not act like it ain't a struggle from time to time. We don't, we don't have to hate. Let's not act holy right now. There's some people in this room right now, more than likely, that as we're talking about love, you're like, I don't know about her. I don't know about him. Hey, we pursue it because we have to work at it. It's not easy. The disciples bickered amongst each other more than anybody. And time and time again, Jesus would turn around and rebuke them. Hey, guys, love one another. Bit of grief. Work it out. Get it taken care of. Love one another. Community love. This should be the greatest collection and exemplification of love on this earth within this house. So pursue it. But it also has to be a compelling love. Compelling in the sense that it compels us to love the people of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God has a compelling love. And as his vessels, we are to be filled with the same kind of love as well. So listen to me, men and women of God. Pursue the kind of love that will compel you to concern for and connect with lost souls. Have a compelling love about you that compels you to go that compels you to share, that compels you to reach out to those that God has placed in your life that need the love of Jesus, that need to know what he has done for them. Everybody in this room has room to grow in the pursuit of love. It's a place where you can start to see immediate change take place. As vessels pursue love, and ask Jesus to grow it within you in the process. As the pursuit extended a little bit longer, 
you know, the longer that it lasted, the more daring the perpetrator became in doing whatever he could to get away from the officers that were trying to catch him, blasting through intersections, disregarding traffic laws, hopping the curb, blowing his hubcap out there at the end, desperate to get away, doing anything that he could to not get caught. But every time the officer would approach the same kind of areas, I don't know if you noticed or not, whereas the perpetrator would zip right through an intersection, Officer Gurley would actually slow down and at one time even checked both directions and then would speed up after he got through the intersection. So each and every time he got to a dangerous situation, he would proceed with caution. So as Paul adds to his list of characteristics that we are to pursue, he adds peace on the end. So listen, as vessels for the Lord, in our pursuit, we proceed in peace. We proceed in peace. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus calls us as his people to be peacemakers, to be people of peace. I got a buddy in my life, he loves to argue. You got anybody like that in your life that just absolutely loves to argue, absolutely loves to debate? I mean, he will argue just for the sake of arguing. We can go outside and stand in front of my black truck and have an argument over whether or not it's actually black. That's how much this guy loves. To, he will argue anything, and it drives me nuts sometimes. I'm like, dude, would you stop? Like, you're just doing that for the sake of trying to get me upset, and it works every single time. I'm like, stop being stupid. He'll argue just for the sake of arguing, it seems like. But you know, it also seems like our world is full of constant arguing and bickering. Jesus makes it clear Ladies and gentlemen, that our job is not to be focused on confrontation, but reconciliation. To pursue peace amongst other believers, but listen to me, but also to help bring people to peace with God through Jesus. In the book of Romans, the same guy who's writing to Timothy also says, how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of the gospel. And it's the same kind of vision that it invokes of someone being a peacemaker. How beautiful are the feet, those who bring the good news of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who seek to come and reconcile people to Jesus by the peace of his blood. As vessels, guys, proceed in peace. Be focused on reconciliation, not confrontation. And then one last thing that, that can't be missed in this. You know, the whole time the officer, he was in communication with his team. So everywhere they're going, you know, he's in constant radio communication, relaying the details of the chase and where they're going and where the direction he's headed in and everything that was going on. And at the end, when they finally catch up to the guy, I don't know if you notice what the officer said at the end, but as they've all kind of converged together, he looks around at all of his other fellow officers and he says, man, I'm glad to see you guys. Glad to see you guys. You know, it wasn't just Officer Gurley 
it was a team effort that ultimately led to their success. So go back to verse 22. And look at the end. Look at this. This is so cool. Paul says to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Listen. We run down righteousness. We follow after faith. We lock in on love and we proceed in peace. But we do so connected with community. It's not just an individual effort. It's not just us going along in this pursuit by ourselves. It's us gathering together. It's us locking arms with each other and pursuing those things as a group, as a community, as a fellowship of believers. Because there's not a single one of these things, guys, as you look at the list, that you can take into consideration and honestly say, you know what, I think I can handle all that by myself. Sure, I can pursue righteousness, I can pursue faith, I can pursue love, I can pursue peace, and I can do that as the lone gunslinger that God called me to be. No, you can't. You will burn out on the race every single time. You will get frustrated, you will get discouraged, you will get downtrodden, and eventually you will give up on the process of the pursuit. That's why Paul says, do all these things, but do it along with each other. It's a team effort. It's a collective effort. That's why we come together and we gather for worship. That's why we give you opportunities to join small group community so you can grow deeper in your faith, so you can know. Nowhere in Scripture, does, all throughout it, do we see to, to run the race, run the race, run the race, run the race. Never run it by yourself. Never. Jesus never encourages a solo performance in the pursuit of righteousness, faith, love and peace we do it together that's why we're here that's why we gather that's why we do these things that's why we provide these opportunities hey this is Trey Mitchell college and young adult pastor I just wanted to say thank you for listening it's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.